Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 10, Chapter 11. What do you make of this chapter? What is your interpretation of what is happening with the grain? What do you think Maya should do? Thyroid Dude says, Okay, I'm a bit mystified by the response of these steppe peasants about the grain. They seem to be very sceptical and untrusting of this kind offer by Maya. I wonder if they might have already used slash distributed the grain amongst the estate, excuse me, consistent with the dispersion of their horses and their autonomy when compared to the peasants at Bald Hills, or if they have already made some other arrangements with the French. Then again, these people were fooled into pursuing warm rivers in the past. I'm hoping Maya gets out of there soon. Her danger outweighs the risk of fleeing to the other estate. Ripster66 says, I too feel like I'm missing something here. Why don't the peasants want the grain? Whether or not they stay or go. Their downcast eyes suggest... They are embarrassed or ashamed or maybe afraid. I don't get it. And I'm sure I'm ex- my absolute ignorance of Russian history is not helping. I think Maya is trying to do the right thing and seems completely baffled too. White, oh, sorry, Winter, Winter Knight says, It sounds like they think of the grain as a bribe to stay enslaved. They prefer the unknown and rumoured freedom from the French offer, even if the treatment ultimately is the same or worse. The lower classes are looking for a way out from under the rich. Ripster says, I think you might be right, but aren't they also starving? I find it hard to imagine being desperately hungry and then turning down food as foreign troops approach, even if you plan to risk it and stay. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Four lost souls in a bowl says... Damn those nobles and their, checks notes, offerings of food and protection. I think Winter Night might be on the right track. It's something about the fact that they are serfs, which is very similar to being a slave. And um, maybe they don't want to be. You know, maybe this is a chance for some kind of a freedom from that. Uh, I think there was a mention a few chapters ago of them having received some propaganda pamphlets from the French. So we don't really know what was contained in those, but maybe some very lofty promises from the French of being treated much better than they're currently being treated. All right, anyway, chapter 12 of this book goes like this. For a long time that night, Princess Mary sat by the open window of her room, hearing the sound of the peasants' voices that reached her from the village, but it was not of them she was thinking. She felt that she could not understand them, however much she might think about them. She thought only of one thing, her sorrow, which after the break caused by cares for the present, seemed already to belong to the past. Now she could remember it and weep or pray. After sunset the wind had dropped, the night was calm and fresh. Toward midnight the voices began to subside, a cock crowed. The full moon began to show from behind the lime trees, a fresh white dewy mist began to rise and stillness reigned over the village and the house. Pictures of the near past, her father's illness and last moments, rose one after another to her memory, with mournful pleasure. 
She now lingered over these images, repelling with horror only the last one, the picture of his death, which she felt she could not contemplate, even in imagination, at this still and mystic hour of night. And these pictures presented themselves to her so clearly and in such detail that they seemed now present, now past, and now future. She vividly recalled the moment when he had his first stroke, and was being dragged along by his armpits through the garden at Bald Hills, muttering something with his helpless tongue, twitching his grey eyebrows and looking uneasily and timidly at her. Even then he wanted to tell me what he told me the day he died, she thought. He had always thought what he said then, and she recalled in all its detail the night at Bald Hills before he had the last stroke, when with a foreboding of disaster she had remained at home against his will. She had not slept and had stolen downstairs on tiptoe, and going to the door of the conservatory where he slept that night, had listened at the door. In a suffering and weary voice, she had, she was saying something to Tikon, speaking of the Crimea and its warm nights and the Empress. Evidently he had wanted to talk, and why didn't he call me? Why didn't he let me be there instead of Tikon? Princess Mary had thought and thought again. Now, now he will never tell anyone what he had in his soul. Never will that moment return for him or for me, when he might have said all he longed to say, and not Tikon, but I might have heard and understood him. Why didn't I enter the room, she thought. Perhaps he would then have said to me what he said that the day he died. While talking to Tikon, he asked about me twice. He wanted to see me, and I was standing close by outside the door. It was sad and painful for him to talk to Tikon, who did not understand him. I remember how he began speaking to him, about Lisa as if she were alive and had forgotten she was dead and Tikon reminded him that she was no more and he shouted fool he was greatly depressed from behind the door I heard how he lay down on his bed groaning and loudly exclaiming my god why didn't I go in then what could he have done to me what could I have lost and perhaps he would then have been comforted and would have said that word to me and Princess Mary uttered aloud the caressing word he had said to her on the day of his death, dearest. She repeated and began sobbing. With tears that relieved her soul, she, was now, she now saw his face before her, and not the face she had known ever since she could remember, and had always seen at a distance, but the timid, feeble face she had seen for the first time, quite closely, with all its wrinkles and details, when she stooped near to his mouth to catch what he said dearest she repeated again what was he thinking when he uttered that word what is he thinking now this question suddenly presented itself to her and in answer she saw him before her with the expression that was on his face and he lay in his coffin with his chin bound up with a white handkerchief and the horror that had seized her when she touched him and convinced herself that that was not he but something mysterious and horrible seized her again. She tried to think of something else and to pray, but could not do either. With wide open eyes she gazed at the moonlight and the shadows expecting every moment to see his dead face, and she felt that the silence brooding over the house and within it held her fast. Danyasha, she whispered. Danyasha, she screamed wildly, and tearing herself out of this silence she ran to the servants' quarters to meet her old nurse and the maidservants who came running toward her. Oh, there we go. Another chapter for you, Maya 
starting to feel that guilt. We knew she was going to start feeling. Ooh, not good. All right, guys, have your say on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you tomorrow.